Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Greenline offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Duncan Savage gave up a business degree to study wine instead. First at Cape Point Vineyards and now at Savage Wines, he's since become one of South Africa's finest winemakers, producing reds and whites of extraordinary finesse. Listen to us chat about what he learnt from Didier Dagonot, the secret behind the success of the Cape's new wave, how he comes up with the unusual names for his wines, and the terroir of surfing. Hey Duncan, how are you? How's it, Tim? I'm good, I'm good. How's it going there? Uh, lovely to see you and hear you. Um, where are you? You're in South Africa, I know, aren't you? I am, uh, I'm sitting at home in Newlands because I was too nervous to sit at the winery in case we get load shedding and our podcast like dies halfway through. <laughs> one of the hassles of living in South Africa is load shedding, isn't it? Yeah, look, our South Africans are a resilient bunch. The punch has come, but we we kind of deal with it. We live in paradise, so we 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 we're able to deal with these things a lot easier than most, I reckon. And you've just had Cape Wine, which is a big trade show. And what are you doing now? I mean, you've had to go travelling, or you out in the vineyards and the winery? What are you doing? Yeah, Tim, we canned all our travelling plans for the for the rest of the year. You know, the plan is now just to get stuck in. We um, as I was saying to you earlier, you know, over the COVID years, we, we we had a lot more time on our hands. So we've got a lot of new projects underway, a lot of vineyard projects that have kind of been amazing over the last couple of years. And suddenly you throw into them the mix, all the tastings, Cape wine, all that stuff, and, and time gets cut down quite considerably. So it's a lot of catch up now. You know, we've had the seasons is on us. It's been a dry, dry-ish winter. Uh, so we're facing a lot of challenges, I think, in the vineyards. But uh, yeah, it's just playing catch up now, trying to get everything done. There's loads of stuff to talk about, including the famous cellar in Salt River, which is, is a one-off. Um, some of these amazing vineyard projects that you've done, you know, the awards you've won this year, including one, of course, from me as my winemaker of the year in my report. Um, lots of that. I just want to start with with your beginnings, really, because you grew up in Durban, I think, which is not wine country, and Cape Town. You went to school in Cape Town, which is, obviously. I mean, was wine part of your life growing up with your parents? Yeah, look, Tim, I mean, we, we've moved around a bit. My dad was a, in banking, so it was traveling around, moving from one city to the next, you know, managing branches and that. My mom always loved her wine. My dad enjoyed a bit of wine from time to time. But, you know, as a student at the time, I didn't have any wine background. And, and, and for us, it was, you know, in standard eight on the rugby field, just a means to an end, you know, just heading out and drinking something dodgy and downing it. And then, you know, it sounds terrible to say that, but we've all been there at some stage of our lives. And then I kind of started going home and, and sipping on my mom's glass and thinking, well, hang on a sec, you know, the stuff we drank on the rugby field was pretty dodgy. So you can only go one way from there and started to sort of like, um, you know, this whole world of wine kind of opened up. And and I was a student at the time. I mean, I, I just started studying and I enrolled at the the Cape Wine Academy and just fell in love. You know, it's for all of us who who in the wine game and 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 um, and truly fall in love with it. Once you go down that rabbit hole, there's no return and it's a never ending rabbit hole. So it's. Um, it's been amazing. It's been a great journey, but it was that Cape Wine Academy that kind of pricked a lot of interest, met some cool uh-huh. people, you know, had yeah. lecturers like Brevet Rots. Brevet was, was a, he's a few years older than me. And I remember with him, you know, one of our lecturers, the one night, guys like that, it was just brilliant. So it was, it was a nice introduction. 
and then yeah, just got stuck in and ended up making the call to head off to Elsenburg. Because you went, you first started doing a business degree, didn't you? Then gave that up to go and to study winemaking instead at Elsenburg, yeah? Yeah, look, well, the business degree was kind of, I mean, it, it was, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. So it was more about kind of the, the economics of surfing more and working less. So I thought the business degree was going to be perfect. And then, um, and then once the wine, bag, you know, once I was, I was sort of besotted with wine, the, that thing got packed. I never ended up finishing it, which I do regret to a certain extent. Mm. Um, I didn't even study for my last exams and I still got a rewrite for finance. I shouldn't tell people that, but it's, uh, it was, it was good fun anyway. And then headed off to Elsenburg and that was amazing because, you know, the decision to go from to Elsenburg rather than Stelly's was, um, mm. you know, very much focused on not having Stelly's a background being in Stellenbosch wine. University. Stellenbosch right? University, yeah. yes. So not having a background in wine. So I'd never pruned a vine. I'd never, you know, spent time in a winery other than visiting wineries and, and, and tasting with people in different wine cellars and that. So it was very important for me to have that more hands-on physical side of things. And it was also, there was great camaraderie there. You know, there was mostly farmers from all around South Africa. And here comes this English oak from Cape Town and uh, it was a baptism of fire for the first two weeks. But um, thereafter, everyone just becomes mates. And uh, and it was brilliant. You know, we we, we lived in... And, and studied on a working farm. There was a winery on the on the property. Um, you know, we got to make our own wine, you know. And also, when you're 20 guys working in the same cellar, all living in the same house, basically 300 meters from the winery, there was a lot of brying, a lot of wine was consumed. <laughs> and a lot of beer, right? It was a fantastic time in my life, I must say. Phenomenal. Top of your year, didn't you? The ducks of your year. And is that how you got the job at Cape Point Vineyards, which was your first big job? Yeah, look, I, I wrote my final exams and started at Cape Point Vineyards two days later, which was um, which was amazing. And the, you know, I never knew this at the time, but I I befriended um, Hermann Kishbaum at Baton for Wacht, and he's now retired. But Hermann, I, I tried to get some wine. We had this, you know, we had. I have to tell you one story. We had this job. This the job at Cape uh, at Elsenburg was we had to collect wines for an auction to raise money to go overseas. So we collected wines. Um, we had an auction. We didn't do it very well, so we didn't raise enough money. And then we decided the three of us were going to live in a wine tank for five days at the Waterfront Wine Festival. And, and we were convinced it was going to raise a lot of money. Um, so we managed to convince one of the tank suppliers to put a wine tank right next to Vaughan Johnson's wine shop next to this big tent. Five of us lived in there for five, for, for five nights and five days. We basically just had loads of, of, of ladies come and join us. We had lots of great wine and we didn't raise any money. So we actually never went overseas that year. But through that whole process, I'd, I'd gotten to know Hermann Kishbaum at Baton for Wachten and, and uh, trying to get wine for the wine auction. And on the two occasions that I went to him, the first time to ask him for wine and the second time to collect the wine, a truck with a container had arrived after hours and it was just Hermann and his, his assistant Jacques at the time who were now loading the containers. I thought, bugger this, I'm going to get stuck in and, and load with the guys. And I kind of developed a real bond with them. And, and unbeknown to me at the time, Hamman had, had, had spoken to the owner of, uh, of Cape Point, Sabrunt, and said to him, look, you need to give this guy a job. And uh, and I couldn't understand it. You know, here yeah, I'm at Elsenburg, and Cape Point's actually pursuing me with no track record or anything, thinking I must have done something right somewhere. And, uh, yeah, promptly started there two days after final exams, which was amazing. Yeah, Cape Point was known and still is known uh, for its white wines. Yeah. Were you, did you think of yourself as a white wine specialist when you started? Tim, I was sort of, you know, um, I didn't know what to think at that time. And I think, you know, that kind of, that, that question links to the biggest change in South African winemaking, I think, at this point in time, is that 
when I came out of college, I had I'd learned a little bit about vineyards, but my my training was essentially in a wine cellar, learning how to make wine. And I came out with the idea that you know, as a lot of people do today, is that or, or did at the time, is wine is made in the cellar. And we all know that's not the case. So I kind of went into to to Cape Point, not really understanding the concept of you know, you've read about terroir, you've tasted a lot of wines. Um, but until you actually get stuck into the farming side of things, you don't really know. So I was very fortunate in that in my first year, uh, we I had a, there was a farm manager. I did the wines. Um, and then in the second year there, um, a lady you might know very well, or you do know very well, by the name of Rosa Clear, came yeah. to work for one year at Cape Point Vineyards. So I had the privilege of working with Rosa, and, and that kind of helped me a lot, you know, taught me a lot about vineyards. And I think the thing with Rosa that was good is, is Rosa's well, I mean, who am I to say? But I always at the time thought the key to Rosa was attention to detail. And um, and especially just in the vineyards and not just in a cellar. You know, you can clean a cellar 100 times a day if you want, and it's not going to change the quality of your wines. But attention to detail in the vineyards obviously makes is a game changer. It's a remarkable site as well, isn't it, Cape Wine Vineyards? I mean, very, very windy, very cool climate for yeah. South Africa. Yeah. yeah. So that was the cool thing. I mean, your, your question was, did I have an idea that I wanted to, to sort of focus on white wines? And, and, and it, 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 that wasn't the case at the time. I was just lucky to end up in a property that was relatively new. It was a blank canvas uh, to a certain extent. People were talking about the property and, and, and the guys had to a certain extent planted the, the correct varieties for the site. You know, a lot of people are obviously talking about Shannon and everything these days. But at the time, Sovium was very popular in South Africa. Sovium in the vineyard is a very upright grower. It was very suited to a windy environment there in Nurtuk. Um, and, and as you know, you know the site. I mean, it's right on the ocean. So a lot of, a lot of wind off the sea, a lot of salt on the vines and makes for that real sort of mineral style of Sovium that, is, that, that built the brand essentially. Yeah, I mean, and you, the only overseas vintage I think you've ever done was isn't it, in Puy Fume with, with Didier Dagano, the late Didier Dagano, one of the great, great, great Sauvignon producers of the world in 2004. Did you learn a lot from him? Yeah, look, Didier was, I mean, what I learned from Didier was super interesting because, I mean, you'll remember at the time in South Africa, in the early 2000s, there was a strong focus on that herb, herbaceous style of Sauvignon, you know, the grassier and the greener, the better. I mean, with hindsight, if I look back at some of those early wines, I don't know how people drank the damn stuff because it was just too herbaceous. Um, and, and what I did find, though, was going to Didier's kind of the time I'd already obviously been tasting a lot of these wines from around the world. But spending time there and looking at what the guys are doing with the canopies, um, a lot of the guys were experimenting with things like Sauvignon Gris and, and varieties like that. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I don't know if it's even legal in the Loire. But anyway, um, but, uh, you know, the, the thing that was interesting at the time was just to see the styles and, the, and, and, and how they were doing. Also, what Didier was doing with a lot of work with Oak. Um, and that was kind of after that visit where we decided to get stuck into doing the Isla, uh, which became a, a pretty iconic wine for, for Cape Point. It's about a massively iconic wine in South Africa, too, as a Bordeaux-style blend, really. I mean, you, you worked at Cape Point Vineyards, what, 14 years? I think they went off to set up your own winery, which is where you are now, Savage Wines. Um, did you have an idea of the style of wines you wanted to make once you got to Savage? Because you started, what, with, with two wines, didn't you, I think? Uh, the Savage White and the Savage Red. Was that the plan from the start, to just make two wines? Or what were you thinking in terms of looking forward? Yeah, look, at the time, you know, I'm not the most structured individual, but my father forced me to do a business plan. And our business plan was only ever make two wines because it's easy to market and and and, uh, and you can keep your focus. And now we make eight. Um, and then obviously there's a nine. few others. 
Well, there's a few others that we do with other businesses and that, you know, the little operations grown somewhat. Now, you know, the thing at the time was, um, you know, Tim, the big factor of K-Point was the, mar the maritime influence. And I think if you look at South Africa, we're a, we're a marginal growing area, a growing region, you know. So, so there are a lot of challenges, you know, global warming, what's going to happen over the next 20 years, none of us know. Having cut my teeth on, on vineyards with that strong maritime influence, I kind of decided to pursue that sort of angle with the savage wines as well. It's what I know. Um, I like that cooling effect. I like what I like the effect of wind on vines. You know, wind is a is an interesting plays an interesting role in, in in obviously canopies and canopy management and just the general dynamic in terms of the fruit. Um, so so that was our inspiration then at the time was to try and source grapes from areas quite close to the ocean that had that sort of that that I say that and then savage white was more altitude. So it was yeah. either altitude or maritime. And to this day, I mean, we're working basically with most of the same vineyards we started with. Um, and it's, it's again, that focus. It's, it's altitude or maritime. And most of them single-site wines? Yeah, look, I mean, the way we started was you have an idea of, of what you want. You know, you start with a picture in your mind of what you think the wines are going to be like, what you want to achieve. But you know certain areas are suited to certain grape varieties. I mean, we know that the world over. But until you've actually physically worked the site, worked with the grapes, you don't know. So it takes quite a while to be able to to get to understand the dynamic. And um, and that was the challenge for me was, you know, it didn't start as the plan, but ironically enough, that became the direction we took because as we became more confident in all the sites we were using to blend into, for example, the Savage Red, we started to want to showcase those sites on their own right. So, you know, Savage Red started as Syrah, Grenache, Sinso, and a little bit of Tourigo National. The Sinso became Follow the Line, the Grenache became Thief in the Night, uh, the Toriga became Are We There Yet? Um, and slowly but surely, the, the business and the brand started to evolve, which was was quite cool. And that was just, as I say, getting the confidence in the sites. And and something which is interesting about this, the way I've seen it is, you know, obviously not owning my own land has its challenges. But I also think there's a lot of benefits to that because I've gone in and worked with with growers who might have delivered their whole lives to, to a co-op, their fathers before them, their grandfathers, and they might not understand fine wine, farming for fine wine. But what they do understand is they understand their sites. So, you know, me coming in, not having grown up on that specific parcel of land, I can tap into someone's, you know, you know, someone who understands their climate, they understand their soils, they understand just the general concept of their terroir, even if it's not specific to, to, to grapes. So to be able to tap into those, that multi-generational knowledge and then come with my sort of ideas and 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 plans for savage wines. It's been a it's been an amazing journey because it's also working with amazing South Africans. I mean, South Africans are lack of people. You know this. But uh, yeah, South African growers are some of the most lack of people of all, really. Yeah. Aren't they? <laughs> They're very very down to earth. Salt of the earth. I mean, talking of salt, I want to talk about Salt River because you've got this amazing winery. I mean, it's pretty edgy, man, isn't it? I mean, it's in a very urban setting. Um, what made you set up there in 2017? You're basically in a, in a in the city, aren't you? In a in a suburb of, of of Cape Town, and quite a rough suburb. I mean, I, I hope don't wish to be too rude about it, but you know, you never quite know what's going to be outside the front door when you when you rock up, do you? Well, I don't as a wine writer. Well, the interesting thing is, and I can't say the word because it's very rude. But the first time you tasted there, we were sitting. We hadn't moved in properly, and we were sitting at a table. And outside, someone screamed at the top of their lungs, "Yo, Marsa!" 
And uh, I can't say the rest of it because it's really rude. You didn't know what that means, but all the South Africans will know exactly what that means. And we just carried on tasting as if nothing had happened. I think it's probably the only winery in the world where you've heard that, where one's heard those words in the actual cellar. Now, look, Tim, you know, the thing at the time was for me, it's, you know, so you know what it's like when it comes to wine. It's, um, it's such a, it's such an emotional, it's such a personal thing. I think, I mean, I didn't want to just work for someone my whole life. I'm ambitious. I, I want to, 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 I have a vision. I want to, you know, develop wines around sort of the way I feel and, and what, how, and how we want to interpret certain vineyard sites. And because of that, we didn't want to get investors involved in the business. So I could very easily have got investors international or local. We had a lot of people who were quite keen at the time. Um, we could have set ourselves up on a, on, a, on a farm somewhere. We could have built a winery. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the times I feel at least um, someone who puts a lot of money into something will eventually start calling the shots and, and make it tricky. So, you know, we don't have anyone involved in the business. We own everything 100%. We, we don't owe anyone money. If we want to make a style that no one will ever drink in, in time or whatever, we can do it. Um, you know, it's it's about having that that sort of uh, independence, I think. And Salt River was what we could afford at the time. It yeah. was a, a winery that was owned by a guy called Tim Martin. And and, and Tim, you know, did some, some incredible things, uh, built a, a small little winery there, which I think is fantastic. We've just expanded the operation because his production was quite small. But when he phoned me um, in uh, early 2017 and said, look, he's thinking of selling, I, I just said to him on the phone, done deal. Meanwhile, I had no money. Um, I spent the next month trying to figure out how we were going to scrape the cash. What could you sell? Yeah. <laughs> dad, dad. Tell us a bit about your, about your winemaking style. I mean, I, I've, I've been low intervention with that bit. It's very elegant, your wines, aren't they? Both whites and and reds. I mean, the reds particularly elegant, I think. And I just wonder if the styles changed over the years. You know, since not just the Cape Point days, but um, you know, since you've been in Salt River since what 2017. Yeah, look, I, I think at the time, I, you know, it's a, it's it's a very relevant question because of I think the time at Cape Point is I, I came out of college and only had ever made basically white wines. We dabbled in a few reds at Cape Point, but they were all sort of second label entry sort of wines. Um, the focus was on white wines. So I've always sort of looked at my reds as reds made by a white wine specialist in some ways. And I, and I, at the time when I, when I, you know, instead of just doing savage as, as, as only whites, because I do think South Africa at the time, you know, the whites were, were really sharp. There's been a lot of good whites coming out of South Africa over the years. And, and the reds have been more tricky. I mean, if you look where the reds are now, obviously it's a different ballgame, but, but a good few years ago, they, I thought, I think the reds presented more of a challenge. And um, and I wanted to be, you know, sort of 60% red. I wanted to kind of like, you know, balance the business a little bit. And and from the get-go, it was all about sort of elegance, purity. It was also at a time where South Africa, there was a lot of big wines, a lot of that 14 and a half, 15 alcohol, lots of lashings of new oak and, and all that kind of thing. We kind of wanted to sort of take the foot off the gas a little bit. Um, you know, we also, you know what it's like here, Tim, we can ripen fruit easily. We've got lots of sunshine. Our challenge is freshness and purity in the wines. So, so that was a big drive for me to try and get elegance, um, you know, picking a little early to, uh, earlier to preserve acidity. Uh, our first Savage Red, the 2011, we, we bottled a 12 and a half alcohol, which I think with hindsight, the wine was very perfumed and pure. And with hindsight, I think it was maybe a little early. Um, if you look at what we're doing today, the wines are quite delicate and quite pure. They have elegance, but we're around that sort of 13.3 to 13.8 sort of level and you know not that we're picking for alcohol it's more just a, a reference point 
But we find that, you know, you, the wines are a touch more vinous. Um, you know, they if I look at especially the Savage Red, where we've changed to um, focus on Syrah, you know, the, the, the wine was always two thirds of, of the Syrah from that specific vineyard. It's now 100% of that vineyard. Um, you know, you can see that there's a little bit more texture. There's a bit more depth. There's a there's a focus more on the tannins that we get from that specific property, you know. And most of them are varietal wines, aren't they? They're made with a, a single grape variety. A couple of blends, I think I'm right in saying, are we there yet, which is the, the Malchus wine, and then the Savage White, which is Semillon and, and Sauvignon. I just wonder what the secret of a good blend is, because most of what you're doing is, is varietal wines, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, the blend, it's interesting because you, you do get master blenders. I mean, I've had guys who've worked with, um, you know, mates who've worked with people like Michel Roland, um, guys like that who, you know, maybe, you know, stylistically obviously quite different to what I'm doing, but just in terms of the way they blend, I think you get guys that are masterful blenders. I've never rated myself as, as you know, being such a good blender per se. I've, I think that the best blend that I've ever made in or had anything to be involved in, should I say, is the Isla 2005 that we made at Cape Point. And, you know, that wine at the time, the plan was to make us, uh, you know, after time with Didier, we were going to make a straight barrel fermented Sauvignon. And I'll never forget, I was standing in the cellar. We, we, were, we were taking the, the wine out of tank, uh, out of barrel into tank. And I was standing next to the, the, the barrel of Semillon that I really liked. It was a beautiful barrel. I had a glass of Semillon in my hand while I was standing with my foot on the pump, taking the wine out of barrel. And I thought, this is so damn good. We just took the, the, the racking arm out of the Sauvignon barrel and I stuck it into the Sauvignon barrel and we pumped it out. And that, was, that was out of 2005. But it felt right. You know, standing in the cellar at that time, I knew those vineyards well. Um, I knew those wines intimately. And, and it just that sort of gut feel. And I still think that that's where, where, the, where the magic happens because you, you, you kind of just take the thinking out of it. Because I think that's a big fault of us as human beings today is we overthink stuff. Overthink. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. Yeah. yeah. So so the your, the question though with are we there yet and 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 um and the Savage White, you know, it, I've, I've, with my my history at at Cape Point of a lot of Sauvignon and Semillon, we decided with the Savage White to go down that route, and we're working with some pretty amazing vineyards, um, you know, and and we've let Sauvignon take the lead, and the the idea with that, I mean, you see a lot of the wines in Bordeaux of that sort of style and model. You know, a lot of Semillon taking the lead, maybe 50%, slightly more. You do see a, quite a few that are, are Sauvignon-driven. But for us here, I just love the, the acidity that the Sauvignon brings to the wines. So if you look at the 2020, um, it's 76% Sauvignon. The, the 2021, which is our new release now, which is a, is a beautiful wine, I think. Obviously, I'm going to say that because we're selling it at the moment. But um, it's uh, 69% Sauvignon. And it's um, I, I just I, I love the the... The the, the the style of Sauvignon where, you, where you, you don't let the fruit, you know, you work oxidatively, so you let the fruit sort of not be in the foreground. Um, we also like to bottle those wines. You'll see, especially with the 20 and the 21, with a little bit of reduction because obviously that just accentuates the salinity in the wine and, and then, you know, that perception of minerality because it was very easy for me at Cape Point Vineyards to talk about minerality because when I was doing a tasting, the ocean was like, you couldn't miss it. It was right in front of you. <laughs> And um, and then uh, Salt River, possibly. Yeah, no, look about the, the the river that runs through Salt River. We don't want to be looking at that too much while we're tasting the wines. T tell me, about, I mean, you, you you specialize with the reds in what we might call Mediterranean red grape varieties. It sounds so Grenache and Syrah. 
I just wonder, do you think these varieties get the credit they deserve or is South Africa still a bit too Cabernet and Bordeaux blend focused? Look, I think traditionally, you know, people have, have, have loved the idea of Cabernet here. You know, if it's Cabernet, it must be the best wine of the range or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I kind of, when I got stuck in, I, I like the sort of Mediterranean side of things. I also, not owning my own land and buying fruit at the time, I also looked for varieties that were going to be a little bit more versatile. And I think that, that Grenache, Sinsa and Syrah are, are pretty forgiving. Obviously forgiving if they, on the, the Sinsa and the Grenache side of things, if the vines are a little older. If they're young, they're not going to be forgiving at all. Um, but but I, I think that Cabernet, there's this idea that Cabernet can grow everywhere. But Cabernet, I think, is an incredibly site-specific variety. If you want to grow great Cabernet, you really have to have the right site. Because there were a lot of quite sort of herbal styles of cab, and you know, back in the old days, and obviously a lot of that's changed. But to to look at a, a variety like Syrah, Sinsa, Grenache, those you can pick anything between twelve and fifteen alcohol, and you can you can kind of like you, you can find your own niche with that specific vineyard, and especially Sinsa. I mean, Sinsa is not going to dominate the world of wine uh, anytime soon. It's it's very much a niche variety, but I think that South Africa does have a wealth of those old vines. I mean, I follow the line vineyard. It's not exceptionally old. It's 40 years old. But it, it just, you know, you can see that that vineyard is, has reached its happy place. And I hope that happy place stays like that for the next, well, at least the rest of my life and whoever else takes over thereafter. Right. I mean, talk a little bit about Chenin Blanc because many people, me included, I think, would regard it as South Africa's best white grape, possibly its best grape, all, all, you know, all told. Would you agree? I mean, and, and just to what extent do you think Chenin expresses differences in soil and subregion? Yeah, look, I mean, Shannon is a phenomenal variety. It's, I've worked with Shannon now for a number of years. I've never been asked to dance as a Shannon. It was never supposed to be a Shannon. It was actually supposed to be Claret, this old vineyard from Belizedorp that had never gone into a bottle or barrel, hence the name, never been asked to dance. It was still, it was still Justin Nock who actually helped me name that one. Um, Justin's a good guy. Now, listen, um, so, so Shannon, I do think, as a variety is fantastic. We've ended up working with a, a block planted in 1956, if I look at that that vineyard and, and, and just the, the quality we get out of that vineyard every year, considering how rundown that vineyard was when we took it on, it's phenomenal. And if you look at the the, the Shannons the guys are producing, it's it's super interesting. I mean, guys like like Eben and 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 um, you know the Malinus, Rivers obviously done very well with Shannon. If you look at this the way the styles changed, if you look at those, remember those early Teddy Hall wines, that texture and richness to where the wines are today, that leaner, more focused. And I, I think that I really like the direction Shannon's heading in. And it is versatile. I mean, it really is. But we do have a wealth of old Shannon. Um, it is something that people can identify South Africa with. But that being said, you know, Shannon's not going to suddenly dominate our landscape. I think there are a lot of businesses, you know, the commercial aspect still plays a role. You know, a lot of wineries still need to exist and survive. So Sauvignon, for example, I think is 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 a variety which people identify with as the brand that is Sauvignon. It's also super versatile in terms of style. Um, you know, we know things like Cabernet in South Africa. Obviously, Merlot is quite popular. Um, so, you know, obviously, there's there's two there's a lot of elements to it. But it is nice to see, and you know this all too well yourself, that South Africa's wine landscape is starting to focus a little bit. I mean, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was the one-stop shop of everything from Sauvignon to a port variety. Now we're starting to see, you know, Elgin for Chardonnay, you know, we, we've known Cabernet and Stellenbosch is the thing. Look at Himmel and Arda. You know, obviously Craig Vessels bucks the trend there, but but you know the the, the shards and the and and the Pinots. You know, Shannon's and the Swartland and the Mediterranean varieties in general. 
I mean, it's it's fantastic to be part of this journey that South Africa's on at the moment. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real privilege. I mean, many of your wines, you've mentioned some of them. I've got these wonderful, unusual names. I mean, I love, you know, not tonight, Josephine. <laughs> Who comes up with these names? I mean, you said that Justin Knott, fellow MW Master Wine, came up with one of them. Are they just things that you come up when you're having a beer one night or something? Who comes up with these names? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the thing at the time, you know, we feel, we fortunately got a very good surname, Tim, but we weren't very original when we named our first two wines, you know, Savage White and Savage Red. Red. So we had to up the game slightly. And um, and we there was no real plan at the time because, as I said, the business plan was only ever make two wines. And then when I when I found that Simso vineyard uh, that belonged to a guy called Butti van Rienen who became a good friend of mine, I only had a telephone number and a few basic directions, but you have to drive through two other farms to get to the farm that used to be known as Fred Adult. And um, I just got lost. And on the third phone phone call, uh, you know, he, he got more and more irritable with me every phone call. And on the third phone call, I just heard this Duncan fall the effing telephone line, which is obviously follow the effing telephone line. And, uh, and I thought that was such a, you know, at the time I was like, I'm going to see this new supplier. This is his attitude on the phone. I got very nervous as how this meeting is going to be. The meeting was very short, but I did on the way out. I took a photo of the, the telephone line and we wrote, follow the effing telephone line on the barrels in the cellar when we made the wine for the first time. And then I, I happened to send that photo to a good friend of mine called Anthony Lane, who's a local designer in, in, um, in Cape Town. And he does all the labels. He's done a lot of labels. He's, no, he's an absolute legend. And he did the drawing for me and sent it to me. And, and as soon as he sent that drawing, I was, that's the label and that's the style we're going to do. And we called it Follow the Line. We put that on. And that was the start of those labels. And then if you look at a vineyard like, you know, The Girl Next Door, we didn't have a name for The Girl Next Door in the beginning. But as we watched this vineyard blossom from this ugly duckling into this beautiful vineyard, it just, the name kind of fell into place naturally. I mean, Girl Next Door, it's, it's just that classic Girl Next Door story. So it's it's everything's relevant to the sites. There's, it's relevant to the yeah. people involved in the wines. Um, you know, as I said, it's not just myself and a and a and a. And an, a They've all got stories. They're all stories, and it's brilliant. Yeah, all links to the people. It's great. I mean, tell us a little bit about what's loosely referred to as the new wave movement. It's become a key part of Circle of Success, and you're obviously a key figure within it. Why do you guys get along so well? Do you think? I mean, this is all competition between you, but you know, you're, you're a bunch of mates, really, aren't you? I mean, old people in there. 30s and 40s, some edging into their 50s, not you, but there are a number of them. I mean, it's a pretty cool group of people, isn't it? It's a very cool group of people. And actually, it's actually the, the new wave concept. I mean, I don't know, we can't really do another new wave because all of us are bloody balding and gray. So it's, our, Jancis was very kind in a, in a piece she wrote a little while back. She, she wrote about the Savage White and she wrote one of the, and then in brackets, young ish. You know, she still. All of us like to think we're still in our 30s, but it's not the case anymore. So, but the new wave, what was great, I mean, you know, Tim, you know those shows. Guys like our agent uh, in, in the UK, Swig, uh, Damon and Robin. Damon's a very close friend of mine. And, and you know, they, the, a whole lot of the importers team together to do that new wave thing. And, and to see all these different portfolios coming together and working together for the, the common good of, of, of brand South Africa was fantastic. I mean, we, we've done that now. Um, our Dutch importer Paul Frankhausen's done a similar thing in the in, in the Netherlands called Cape Crew, and he was just he called it Cape Crew because at least they can do Cape Crew in 30 years when there's new people around, new wave. I don't know, you know, they have to wait for the next generation to take over. But you, you've got 40 odd producers standing in a room in Amsterdam now in May, 
No one's, you know, you, you're punting your own brand, but essentially what you're doing is flying the flag of South Africa. And it's, you know, once people come here, they understand the dynamic. They, 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 they are drawn to the warmth of South Africans, the beauty of the place, and they get to experience the wines. And, and you know, we just have to convince them a little bit that, that there's this amazing place, this amazing wine on offer, and just amazing people that are involved in the process. Another thing I want to talk to you about is, is is your sort of mentorship, really. It's not something you talk a lot about, but, you, you know, you've been a key mentor, really, to two of the best young black winemakers in South Africa, Benelli Vakili, who's new, who's your assistant winemaker at Savage Wines, and Kiara Scott, who's working uh, in a project where you're, you're a consultant called Brookdale. Um, I just wonder, what, you know, it's amazing seeing them and how, how much they've blossomed, really, partly under you. Is transformation working? Do you think, is the wine industry becoming a bit less white in inverted commas as it were i mean are we finally seeing that yeah look tim i think it's a slow process i mean it's start it's definitely the, the it's changing um or becoming more inclusive should i say the challenge to the wine industry as you well know is if you want to build your own business in this industry if you're not completely in love and all you you basically eat slim drink sleep drink wine and vineyards then you you, you it's going to be tough to make so it's 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 a you 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 can't teach someone passion. They have to develop that themselves, you know. And also, you know, it's um, motivation. I mean, motivation comes from within. People need to to have a love for something to be able to want to do it. So that's the challenge. Is you can't just take someone and say, "Cool, well, I'm going to train you. You're going to come work for me, and you're going to be a great winemaker." It doesn't work like yeah. that. And I think that the Cape Winemakers Guild's been instrumental in this process. You know, the guild. Um, Louis Stratum has done such amazing work over the years. Uh, Martha Foster, just super people who've brought in so many interesting people into the dynamic. And, and, and it's a mentorship program. So guys go off to the different wineries. Um, they work with the winemakers. They, they, they get to learn. And then they go off to another winery. So Bonelli came to me initially as part of that mentorship program. Um, and, uh, and then he, he, he did his year. And then he traveled a little bit. And then he came... Uh, and join me afterwards, and he's now sort of my official assistant winemaker. And look, I mean, if you if you ask Bonelli, he'll 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 also give me a bit of stick. I mean, I'm not I'm not just nice to Bonelli the whole time. He'll probably tell you I'm bloody difficult. But uh, and Chiara as well. But I think that's the 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 thing is that if anything in life, if you're working somewhere and you're doing an apprenticeship or an internship of some description, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a reflection of what things are going to be like. So I do challenge Bonelli a lot because. He really has, as a human being, he's a great guy. He's got a lot of drive. He's charismatic. He loves wine. He really has potential to do well in this industry. So I push him, and I push him hard. And he's done super well. I mean, he's Timbella wines. He's own wines as well. Yeah. So so I, that was my my undertaking to him. Is I said to him that that you know he can make his own wines in the cellar. We 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 helped him with his first few vintages getting the whole thing on the off the ground financially and all of that. And, and now he's got to run it himself, but he's got use of the, of the seller. And it's quite nice because, you know, it's, it's slowly but surely getting him involved. The, the one thing I think it has been a challenge because we are an urban winery is we don't have a vineyard on our doorstep. So I'm in the vineyards 80% of the time. I need him to be in the winery, having a finger on the pulse that side. So he doesn't see as much of the vineyards as, as maybe what he would like to, or what I would like for him. But that will come, Tim, and, and, and he understands what we do. We discuss what we do in the various parcels and, and how we manage them. That comes with time. I mean, Kiara, on the other hand, she's now, as you mentioned, working for Brookdale, doing some fantastic things at Brookdale. Kiara is just a, you know her, she's just a bubbly, yeah. 
you know, lovely person. There's a real warmth and generosity to her personality, which is fantastic. Um, and she's going to do very well. You know, Brookdale, the owner, Tim Rudd, is an absolute legend. Um, you know, he and I become, <clears throat> I don't only consult him, but we become good friends. Uh, we're busy building the winery there at the moment. And, and it's just been a been an amazing journey there, you know, and it's a real opportunity. You know, I spoke about that blank canvas at Cape Point. Kiara has that blank canvas opportunity at Brookdale. Yeah, yeah, which, which, which is amazing for her, really, isn't it? But another thing I want to ask you is just about is how you get away from wine. You know, I mean, someone was joking when you won my winemaker of the year that you'd been able to afford to buy a yacht and you were somewhere <laughs> in the Seychelles. I think that was Dan Nickel, wasn't it? Um, I don't think it's, it, you're so successful. You're, you're buying a yacht, Jesse. But I know you're 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 a big surfer, aren't you? I mean, why is surfing so popular amongst the Cape winemakers? Do you think you just love the ocean? Well, firstly, Dan is a chop. We love him to bits, though, <laughs> but uh, he's uh, you know he's a great guy. No, Dan's given me a lot of stick over the last while. But um, no, look, the surfing thing I think is you know we if you look at so many of the great wine producing areas of the world. A lot of them are very close to the ocean. I mean, I've had the privilege of spending some some time in Margaret River, and I, I did go to Margaret River to to go and spend ten days tasting wine. And I have to say, we tasted for three and served for the rest. It was um, the waves were fantastic. But you know, there's um, it's just I think surfing is driven by passion, and and I think wine is the same thing. You know, you you have to be the amount of time and effort, as I said earlier, that you need to put in uh, if you're not passionate and obsessed. Um, you're never going to cut it. And surfing is the same. You know, people will go to any lengths to find, you know, the right waves. I mean, I look at Eben, none of us could go with him, but he, for his 50th birthday, jumped on an airplane by himself and went to Fiji. Um, the amount of expense, right? say again? He took the surfboard. Yeah, so the amount of expense and, and effort to do that on your own is, it just shows the the, 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 the level of passion that, that surfers have. And, and also, you know, I, I think a lot of what we do, you know, the focus on the vineyards, being out in nature, understanding you know all of what we do is watching weather trying to understand the dynamic of the terroir surfing is a lot of the same you know you you you're looking at a, a surf spot the dynamic of the spot the way the sand is the rocks the climate the way it influences it you're watching it all the time so it's it's super interconnected and in a way it's it's quite cool because we have the vintners classic every year there's a few in the you know re, i think australia has now subsequently also you know got a competition going but the, the vintners classic has been fantastic because you know, 60, 50 or 60 guys get together every year in Stillbar. It, it started off with a lot more drinking uh, and partying. And, and suddenly people became a little bit more competitive. So suddenly guys were like, you know, going to bed really? early the night before. Uh, you see all the guys stretching on the rocks ahead of time. You know, no one's spring chickens anymore. So we've got to stretch a bit more. But the general dynamic and the vibe is great. You know, one of the sponsors uh, stood up. I said this a while back. One of the sponsors stood up at the at the, the the ceremony afterwards, the one year, and said, "You know, it's amazing because any other business or industry around the world, you would sit in a room and people are competitive and they're not mates. Yet here, you've got sixty people in a room in a very competitive industry. Yet everyone's mates, and it is just fantastic. So the camaraderie is great, and the knowledge sharing is great, and I think that's." You know, brings us back to that point that we, we spoke about earlier is why do people love South Africa so much is, you know, the warmth and the hospitality and the generosity of the people. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a special place. There's no two ways about it. That's right. I mean, I think that's a lovely place to end. The warmth, the generosity and the hospitality of the people. Duncan, thank you uh, for sparing some time with us to talk about your amazing wines. And see you soon. I hope either in the UK or probably back in South Africa when I'm over there in March next year. So see you soon.
Yeah, well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for being uh, letting me be a part of this, and thanks, you know, well done with the guide and stuff. It's amazing. Hey? We, it's great that South Africa is getting the publicity, and and it's awesome. Great to be the winemaker with you and your guide as well. <laughs> I must say. Thank thanks, Tim. <laughs> Duncan really is one of the Cape's greats, and he so deserved the winemaker of the year title in my 2020 South Africa report. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Master of Wine Michael Hill Smith from Shaw and Smith and Tollpuddle Vineyard in Australia. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.